Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Dan Pontefract, welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast. How are you today? Big E, so good to see, hear you. Love you, man. Let's go. What are we going to talk about today? Here's, here's what people need to know. Dan is a leader's leader. That, that, that's the way I find myself describing him. Uh, generosity, uh, beyond belief, uh, industry experience. He's, he's a father of three goats, which I'm sure he'll tell you more about a little bit later. They tend to come up in every one of our conversations for all the right reasons. And uh, just an incredible all-around guy, author of Flat Army, Purpose Effect, Open to Think, and his new book coming out this year, Lead Care Win. Uh, Dan, tell us a little little bit about what you're up to, what's exciting you right now, and uh, what, what, what's on the top of your mind? What's on the top of my mind? Wow. Uh, what's exciting me is the fact that uh, there are way too many people who enjoy the term the new normal, Eric, mm. and I am antithetically against the new normal. I, I am so excited about discussing with you today what I'm calling the great reset. I know you've got other terminology as well, and I love to sure. banter with you about it. Mm-hmm. But The new normal, let's talk about that. That presupposes, Eric, that there was a normal before the pandemic. And and I find it completely abnormal, the way in which that we are operating. Your comments about me, I appreciate that, but there's a lot of things that I've done wrong in my life. I don't know if I am a leader's leader, because when I took a hard look at the lens of how did Dan lead and the organizations in which he was privileged to lead in and with teams, you know, I'm not sure I did the best job either. We're all learning. We're all on the path of the waterfall. So some of us, I think, need a great reset on how we're looking at this world we call life. Well, first of all, I think that's something a leader's leader would say in recognizing that their leadership of past uh, has not necessarily been as effective as it could be. And I think that growth mindset, that openness to learning, to think um, is is exactly what, what we need a little bit more of, which would then suggest too that there is really no normal when the ways of yesterday aren't nearly going to be as effective as, as the ways of tomorrow. So maybe I'll ask you then, instead of a new normal, tell me a little bit more about what a great reset is and what it looks like. Well, we got 20 minutes, you said? Because we could go yep. on this for 20 days, man. I mean, holy smokes. Um, well, there, the way I've been looking at this is there's a couple of things, and I'm talking about not society per se. I, my lens is the, the workplace, right? The organization. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to get into some of the societal pieces. But that said, society obviously has a huge symbiotic relationship to the workplace. Sure. So there's, there's considerations for me that include things like, well, what's the point of work? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Again, where you know we had inklings of stakeholder capitalism and sort of the purpose of the organization. Is it just for profit? Is it for shareholder return? Is it for shareholder primacy? I think this pandemic has given us a really good look at why are we here. And it's not a start with why Simon Sinek thing. It's a sure, what's sure, the sure. purpose of business? So mm-hmm. that's kind of one, the manner of the business. Why are we here? I think that other one is somewhat obviously we've been able to reflect and pause a little bit. I love when you and I chat and you say, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lose out on the opportunity of the pandemic that allowed me to slow down a little and take advantage Mm -hmm. of time. And Mm -hmm. so I think as horrific as the pandemic has been, the shadow that cast when we step out into the light, it's been, oh, maybe work can be done differently as well, whether that's with whom, whether that's the when, whatever. So Mm -hmm. to start, I would say, 
the purpose of the workplace or his purpose of business, I think we should be reflecting on that. And then it's the, well, how are we doing our work? Mm -hmm. When are we doing our work? With whom are we doing our work? Those are two biggies and we can get into other ones. Well, let's start there. You know, I just want to add to that a little bit because I I was having a conversation with somebody uh, the other day who was almost like reminiscing about the days of old in, in the workplace. And, you know, outside of like family and childhood, there's not really that we reminisce about and feel nostalgic about when it comes to the ways of old. We don't talk about, you know, horse-drawn carriages and bicycles and getting around and say, oh, I wish we didn't have our cars. We don't look at our cell phones and our ability to communicate via Zoom or computer or email and think, oh, I wish I could write another letter. You know, we don't listen to our, 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 our MP3 players or, you know, on Spotify or whatever streaming service we have and think, oh, I wish I had my vinyl record player again so I could only listen to music that way. Yet we think that, going back is the, what we need to do in the office. It seems, it seems so almost like a bit of a double standard. Why, why do we think that we should be going back in the ways of work uh, when we don't really think about that anywhere else? So, you know, I would, I would echo that sentiment in that there is no normal. There isn't really a new normal either. And when we look at the statistics, I, I, I don't want to be quoted directly, but I remember, I think the numbers were uh, 28 and 41, where 28% of employees in North America are deemed those essential workers. So think um, people working in the banks or people working in in our hospitals, in our uh, long-term care homes, in our grocery stores, in our insurance offices. You know, those people's work aren't changing all that much. You know, there might be some PPE gear that's in front of them now, but they're not going to be working from home, which means that normal for them is going to be different than normal for somebody who's working in an office or perhaps remotely now. I also know that some people never left the office. I don't even know whether that was legal or not, but there are a few of my friends who have been in the office every day since March 13th, for better or worse. So to agree, to, to long and short, to say that there is no normal moving forward, that this could be a chance to, to reset, isn't just a suggestion. I think it's more of a prescription. <laughs> and when we look at this being a reset, there isn't just uh, an opportunity to try something new. I would argue that there's an obligation to try something new because what works for one company, let's just use your, your, your pals that tell us, uh, might not work at Bell or Rogers, even if they're in competing businesses. And that's not to suggest that it, one is better than the other, but to give the opportunity and the flexibility for leaders and their teams to create something new, to reset altogether and to then empower the whole team to be a part of these creative solutions, I think is an opportunity, truthfully, that's been missed over the past decade. What do you think? Uh, we've had the proverbial wool over our eyes. And I think there's, <laughs> there's, there's reasons for that. Uh, some of it nefarious and some of it uh, oblivious. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the nefarious side, again, what I believe is that you've got a certain portion of of MBA grads and board members and C-suite members that truly believe that the purpose of the organization is to to increase profit to the point where uh, you are extracting rents that are unsustainable for a planet, for a community, for the organization itself, because the only purpose of, of, the, of the business would be to, to ensure that everyone is fixated on increasing its EBITDA, increasing its share price, if they're publicly mm-hmm. traded, of course. Um, or, of course, you know, extracting everything they can in order to increase the margins. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes back to the do more with less mantra mm-hmm. that every CFO seems to enjoy. 
we need to do more with less in this organization, Eric, which then creates undue stress, pressures, et cetera, on the org itself, which then, as you know all too well, translates to disengagement, disenfranchisement, right? It's people just collecting a paycheck and hoping that, uh, you know, they have enough money left on Friday to go to the liquor store to get a 26 yeah. of vodka. Like it yeah. just all is related. This, this notion of health and wellness to, yeah. um, where we're, where we're at as an organization, why we serve and who we serve. It, it is, it is so related. So I didn't think we, we would go there and, and, and I rarely do in our <laughs> conversations. And at the same time, I'm glad we're here. Um, do you see in the future then the structure of public companies changing? Do you think that, you know, if you were to get out your crystal ball in, in 10 years, are there fewer uh, public companies? Because essentially those, co those companies' performances, it's really hard to plan long term when you're looking at the next quarter and looking to get those numbers up, especially when the C-suite and the executive team are compensated on that quarter. Uh, number one, do you see the number of public companies or IPOs changing in the next five, 10 years? And number two, if not, or if so, are there going to be different ways that we can measure or will it, might there be a new lever that we could add in terms of corporate sustainability, triple bottom line, what, what, whatever that might be, maybe some sort of economic or green component? The, the sort of example I have in my head or, or is, is almost like um, B Corp, but on steroids, you know, so yeah. maybe I'll let you dive into that a little bit. No, I was just going to say, I think we need B Corps on steroids. So you know, yeah. well done with the, the thunder stealing biggie. <laughs> Way to go, man. And, but uh, that is kind of it, right? The B Corps, as they started, you know, people kind of looked at them a bit with, with quizzical eyes, a bit of a, mm -hmm. what are they up to? You know, what are the, the planet, you know, this whole mm -hmm. scorecard, what's 80 points? What, so mm -hmm. I got more than 80 was like, and then eventually people caught on and mm -hmm. these organizations that were either startups or, you know, not publicly traded because there's only, I, I think there's only two publicly traded companies in North America mm -hmm. in various indexes that are a B Corp, by the way. Mm -hmm. And there's a few more in Europe somewhat, obviously. But anyway, the point is that... <laughs> it, Let's go back a bit to what happened November, I think, 18th of 2019, when the business roundtable in America. So again, that's the 200 companies that make up, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's 80% of the Fortune 500 wealth. Mm -hmm. and, um, and these 181 CEOs of the 200 members of the business roundtable came out and said, all right, you know, bad on us, Milton Friedman, good old Uncle Milt was probably the wrong guy to be following for 40 years. The purpose of a company is not shareholder primacy and increasing shareholder wealth. However, I think we think that maybe the purpose of the company is actually to be serving all stakeholders, hence stakeholder mm -hmm. capitalism. Right. But that was just basically a press release and an update on a website. Yeah. Because if you don't have the publicly traded organizations in America and to a degree, some of the other multinationals in Europe and in Canada, if they're not actually, uh, Rearming themselves, re-educating, right. re-engineering their business so sure. that they are in fact serving the stakeholders and they're measured on it, but penalized on it, et cetera. Right. What, what's the point? 
I mean, it's well, just, there, it's has, just there has to be incentive or penalty. Otherwise, it's lip service, right? I mean, if there's no impetus to change, why why would you? I mean, that we, we've seen this time and time again with mission, vision, value statements looking really good in the boardroom with that new type font and, and new laminate going up on the wall and then seeing that, the you know, I've got a toxic workplace where people don't stick around for more than six months. I, I, I don't see m- much of this being any different than, than, than that. Well, I mean, just the classic example of Enron, when you walked in their front lobby, those values really served them well, didn't they? So, I mean, let's, 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 let's talk about that too, because, uh, you know, not that I don't think Enron was a bad company, but it doesn't mean that everyone in Enron were, were bad people. So of course. how does, how, how, how do we then transcend cascade a lot of these values and beliefs from the top of the organization from a a a a press release with 181 signatures on it into action let's get into what are the steps that we can take now in this in 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 dan pontifrac's great reset what what do i do as as a leader listening uh to 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 this to to start now at, at any level So I think three things have to happen. There needs to be like in Facebook right now, just as an example, employee You love Facebook. Here we go. I I love hating Facebook. (laughs) I love hating Facebook. But like when you see an employee revolt from above or from below, I'm sorry, pushing above the the weight of their pain, their disdain, um, the the irony of those values, Mm. they're they're suggesting to Zuckerberg and and to to Cheryl and whoever else in that C-suite, hopefully the board as well, that Mm -hmm. what they're doing is not good enough. They are Mm -hmm. antithetical to their values. So A, number one, employee revolt. Number two, I think you need board intervention. There Mm -hmm. are way too many corporate boards that have not taken the, at least in Canada, you know, the ICD.D. They are not corporate directors who understand fully what governance is supposed to be Mm -hmm. and how it acts. When you govern at a board level, you are, you are working with that uh, C-suite and that president indeed, but you are also adamantly stating, well, this is why we're here. Hmm. This is how we're going to measure success. This mm-hmm. is what we expect because we serve either the shareholders and or the folks that buy our products if they're not publicly traded or yeah. the service that they provide. Like it could be you know, a, a, a company that's not on TSX or NASDAQ or wherever. That's number two. But number three, somewhat obviously, you need the C-suite to wake up from their coma and mm-hmm. recognize that the, the world is changing. Mm-hmm. And if they want to hold on to their propensity for greed, their proclivity for power, then they're in the wrong game. Right. And you used 10, 10 years just a few moments ago. I was like, was it going to take 10 years? I think it's going to take 10 years. Mm-hmm. And part of that reason is because it's going to take a decade for everyone to catch up to where B Corp had intended, for example, the organization to be from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the interrelationship and the, the causality of how the organization morphed into, a, well, we serve the stock market or we serve the board whom are looking for profit, that has to be disentangled. And that's going to take a hell of a long time. So, hi, hi, Dan. I'm I'm Eric Tremundi. I work as a junior something at your local headquarters of a publicly traded company where the CEO is really all about maximizing profit profits. He he's in part three of 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 your suggestions where he hasn't woken up yet to the new reality. He doesn't understand that the world is changing. He doesn't know that the ways of yesterday aren't going to be the ways of tomorrow. 
and I'm looking to change it. What I know to be true now is that unemployment hasn't been this high since the Second World War. I don't necessarily have a series of options. I might even be on a wage subsidy. And I'm seeing the writing on the wall, too, that if things don't change for this company, not only am I not going to have a job, perhaps, in the next decade, maybe this company won't even exist. What are the things that I can do not having access to the C-suite, perhaps only being in my job for the past three to five years, to help make this change from the ground up? Hey, Eric, it's great to meet you. First of all, uh, do you love your role? Like, do you like what you do in your role? You know, it puts food on the, on the table. It puts a roof over my head. I get the job done. I'm fairly good at it. And I like the people that I work with. Do, do I love work? No, but it's great. It's good enough. Fair enough. Eric, the organization itself, do you believe in its cause, its mission? Do you know where it's heading? Do you, are, you, are you first at the barbecue? Uh, to say, you know what, I love working here. Here's why I love working here. Look, when I signed up, I liked the logo. I liked the mission statement. I thought I knew what I was signing up for. The reality is I, I didn't. Am I the first one to the barbecue? No. Am I going? Sure. Um, have I really taken a stand? Do I want to ruffle feathers because of this conservative traditional organization that I'm in? No, but I'm playing my part and sort of doing my thing to, to be a team player. Eric, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for your authenticity. Now, if we just look at you for a second, Eric, have you defined your you? Like, do you know what you like, what you dislike? Do you have a, have you set a path for you on what you're trying to get out of your career? Do you, do you know your kind of trajectory as to why you're in this company? And is this the, the place in which for you to actually develop yourself and whatever it is that you've decided you want to be when, quote, you grow up? I'd like to think that I've got a good handle of, of my skill sets. You know, I recognize that I've got a lot to learn. Um, I'm not asking for a blind promotion. I'm not asking for another signing bonus. I'm not asking for more holidays or vacation because I'm just such a big asset to the company. I, I do good work. Uh, I've got a good team and, and I recognize that I've earned my place here. Do I, do I have loyalty to the company though because of everything that's going on? No. Do, do I necessarily trust leadership? No. Am I giving 110% because of these? No, I'm doing what I need to do to get by and then I'm going home and forgetting about it. Fair enough. So that's kind of one of the existential questions I want you to think about is we, I mean, I like cycling in Tuscany. I mean, I need mm -hmm. a job. I need to make some money in order to, if I ever get back on an airplane, Eric, to, uh, mm -hmm. to go cycle around Tuscany. And and so, however, I also know that if I'm not comfortable in my own skin on what I'm doing for that organization, it's going to make that bike ride in Tuscany feel a bit, for lack of a better word, icky. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing? And I'm mm -hmm. not really bringing my full self to work because I haven't uh, found the place in which I'm allowed to bring my full self to work, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I get the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and that you may be... Um, uh, <laughs> grin and bearing it uh, because you need that paycheck. You know, you got a rent check uh, that you got to give out every month. I get that. You got groceries. Mm -hmm. I get that, Eric. But have you taken the steps? Are you prepared to juxtapose you and where the goodness comes from your role against what this organization stands for? Are you prepared to do reconnaissance with your network, with other organizations to potentially, whilst you still have to collect the quote paycheck, maybe find something that's more interconnected, that's more in your sweet spot of connection between what is your you, uh, 
what is the aspects that you excel at in your role and what feels good or better alignment to the organization and what it does? Have you thought about that existential you know, quest? It's, it's been in the back of my mind for, for a while. Um, you know, essentially since as soon as I walked in the door and realized that, wait a second, the job description doesn't exactly match the employee experience here. I don't know if anyone's heard their senior experience that before. Um, but it's just sort of been on the back burner. And, you know, given what you've suggested, maybe it's time to move it up a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty risk averse, but that doesn't mean I can't be doing a little bit more on the side to explore what I value, where I can contribute, and more importantly, perhaps who I'm aligned with. And, you know, you got me thinking, maybe if I can understand more clearly who I am, than the, you know, the 250 or 300 word cover letter that I'm putting in front of somebody will actually talk more about what I stand for and how that aligns with the company rather than just the series of, of numbers and data that suggests that I can do the job. The resume already suggests that I can. Thanks, coach. You know, if we, if, we, if we step out of character just for a second, that, Eric, is kind of what a lot of folks aren't doing. Mm -hmm. And that's twofold. I mean, what, what I'm, what's happening there is the leader mm -hmm. doesn't step out of his or her leadership shoes to then invoke a sense of humanity with the people on the team to ask those types of questions. Yeah. That's missing step number one. Right. Because what happens is then you got the other side, you, the employee, Eric, and, and, and they're so busy, they're frightened, or they're, you know, sometimes they're just in a rut that mm -hmm. they're just going through the motions, which then leads to some of that disengagement, disaffectedness we talked about. Yeah. And, and again, it's, I think it's a two-way street. Whenever I led folks, I would always have those conversations about, hey, is this the right place for you? I mean, I love you, even though you're my number one star. Do you, maybe there's over here we should probably get you thinking about because you're probably destined for a VP role or working in this mm -hmm. engineering team or whatever, man. And that's the kind of problem. We, we went from stakeholder capitalism and board changes, et cetera, to the employee in, on the team somewhere in the organization. And what leaders aren't doing is leading the growth of people. They need yeah. to do that a lot better, man. So this is officially the longest episode of the One Degree Shift podcast already, and time tends to fly. So what I'm going to do is ask you a, a closing question in, 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 in trying to extract more from what are the things that I need to avoid? Uh, you know, what, what, are, what are behaviors that are all too common to us, I'll say, as the collective, um, that are prohibiting us from doing the things that we've been talking about uh, over the past 25 minutes? One of them is courage. I think we mm -hmm. need to take a bath of courage mm -hmm. in order to look in the mirror and say, oh my God, is this actually not working? Because we hear those little voices, Eric, like, oh, e oh no, I'm just going to suppress that. Right. I'm going to keep like grin and bearing it. So if we take a shower, a bath, a whatever, something that's mm -hmm. full of water called courage, you know, we got we to gotta own up to our own uh, faults, but mostly our own gaping holes that we choose not to go into. Sure. And, and that, if we don't do that, we're, we're going to be in the rut as an individual, we, if we're talking to just individuals right now. But, but secondly, if you're a leader listening in for whatever reason, you know, I implore you to have that existential growth, life, humanity, conversation, not a coaching exercise, a conversation mm. with people, the people on your team. Because what happens is you have employees 
whom are individuals or, or leaders of smaller teams, let's say, and they're not getting that type of growth development, real raw chat out there in their world. They might get it from a peer, but they're not getting it from someone who should have, quote, more experience and, and, and help, helpful advice. So have the humanity question, have the humanity conversation, have that dialogue, pretend if you have to, but yeah. just be someone that's there for them. That Eric, oh, gosh, I wish that was more of that happening. Dan, this has been incredible. Uh, listeners know why uh, I've, I've always called you the leader's leader, which leads me into the, the final closing piece. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, Lead Care Win when it's coming out, how we can get, a, get our hands on it? You are so kind. Uh, I hate plugging stuff. Uh, I have a book coming out, Eric, uh, September 29th called Lead Care Win, How to Become a Leader Who Matters. Mm-hmm. And effectively, you know, I'm turning 49 in a couple of weeks. It's the 25 years of me working with leaders, interviewing leaders, analyzing the rights and the not so rights of this world. And it came down to nine lessons of humanity, to be honest. And mm-hmm. that's what the book's about. Well, if you're not going to plug it, I definitely will be sure to grab this uh, book. It is incredible. All of his other work is is phenomenal. September 29th, the nine lessons to be a better leader, to care, and to win. Dan, thanks so much for your time today. Biggie, always love chatting with you, man. Stay safe. Take care. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit ericturmundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.